Welcome to a new episode of the Mastering Agility podcast. Today we are talking to Gemma Honor, and it's an honor to have you. We're talking about graphic facilitation, but more on that later. We're approaching the end of the year, Gemma, and we've got some nice Christmas music playing in the background. I was thinking about some reflection earlier this year, or earlier this week. I'm curious, how do you reflect back on this year? Like, what are your highlights? How do I reflect? I do. I do like to have a. Li- I do like to have a little bit of a reflect, actually. And I um, I even created like a little template for me and my son to kind of reflect into. But we haven't actually done that bit yet. So, what are the highlights of this year? I think I've met a couple of really amazing people this year. Um, so I've met a brilliant coach who is now my friend, um, and his name is Matt McGeary. He's an awesome agile coach, um, and I met him through my work in BT. And then I also met a service designer who I'm just totally in love with. Um, she's head of service design for BT, and her name's Jeanette Clement. She's amazing. And so I've had a bit of a chance to collaborate with her, like doing some workshop design. Um, and also she's kind of giving me a bit of a sneak peek into some training that she's running as well. So yeah, those those been that. And then also the bit we were talking about just before, I got a hug from Jeff Watts. So that was pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um we were at the same network. I bet he was absolutely oh, starstruck. He re- he said you. he claims that that was the highlight of his year, but it was definitely the highlight of mine. I was just like, oh my god, Jeff Watts, um, and so that was that was really <laughs> cool. Um, and then also, I've I've also had um, the other kind of amazing thing that's happened is just having the chance to set up a business with um, Adventures with Agile. So that is kind of that is actually going to be haven't launched it yet but launching next year it's just the actual chance to collaborate and build something new with those guys is absolutely amazing so yeah a few things a few really good things that sounds like a wonderful year i have a hunch what adventures with agile does but tell okay me more so adventures with agile was set up by um Somebody I've known for about 10 years, uh, Simon Powers. And so he set that up as a, first of all, just a meetup group for the Agile community in London. And so he was kind of setting up talks and then he started setting, running up, running courses via Adventures with Agile. And it kind of then merged into a training provider, but also like a bit of a consultancy and over the pandemic, a lot of their consultancy work, they kind of had to pull back from because they couldn't get like on-site coaches. And so what that meant is they went into kind of really just specializing in training. And so that's the point where he kind of contacted me and said, maybe we could set up something that is kind of in that coaching consultancy space but do it in a way that kind of really involves visual thinking, systems thinking, which me and him are both like really passionate about. So, yeah, so that is, that's really kind of the beginning of that story, which is exciting. How did you get into the whole design thinking and, and visual visual thinking part? Like, what, what makes it so exciting for you? I just love the fact it's so collaborative. So I really discovered it as a scrum master um and so 
being a scrum master you kind of I don't know I like I love the retro I love kind of investing my creative energies into the retrospective and making that like a really kind of valuable collaborative creative experience where you're kind of trying to kind of understand a little bit more about what's going on in your environment what's going on in the team and then kind of creating some really good experiments to try some changes and and get some stuff happening that way and so it was through experimentation with play-based techniques and the retrospective that I started using more and more visual visual techniques and then that I then just started getting really interested in other types of workshop design and I just I just really feel like the minute that you kind of bring in a visual element into your workshop design it starts to get some real clarity um but also, I, I also then started experimenting with actually, if somebody else is facilitating a workshop, what happens if I then try to draw the outputs that I'm hearing from the workshop? Because my mind, it's constantly trying to like, it's constantly taking words and turning that into visual. So like, what if I just kind of tap into that gift and put put that on a wall or put that on an iPad and kind of share that image as live as that's happening. And I discovered it created like these amazing like moments of clarity for the people that were kind of in that, um, in that workshop experience or in a kind of team coaching experience. And so, yeah, so that's really how I discovered it was just through that process of experimentation through that scrum master role finding that actually there are ways of making collaboration a bit more fun making it a little bit more creative by adding these kind of visual elements and and the key bit for me was that actually didn't even need to be that good at drawing um but yeah it was I, I, yeah and like I say I kind of came at it through a lot of play-based techniques I was using things like lego serious play to kind of do the building stuff and I just I realized I think particularly over the pandemic that you don't have to be using kind of physical play-based techniques if you can use visual techniques um but that said I think visual techniques work brilliantly either in a room or online I love the fact that you can kind of it's seamless um it works seamlessly across both There's there's quite a big line in growth when when you speak it through it like this like you from the point where you started you mentioned you don't have to be that good to start drawing to the point where you are in the last time that we spoke uh, like now I'm recording you have this really nice flip chart in the in the background and it looked amazing I don't necessarily recall what was on there I just know um, this stood out really well there was a couple of text there was a little bit of text in there but it was in an artsy way as well how do you recommend people to start off with this like i i know so many people that when i ask them to draw something out yeah but i'm not really good at drawing um it's just it's one of those same techniques where we say um during the courses it's easy to say we're not going to write anything down or i'm not going to write anything down because i'm my handwriting yeah. is horrible no do we have any women in the group their handwriting is usually a lot better than mine well slow down the writing then 
it's going to look a lot better. But do you have any kind of these kind of techniques? Yeah, definitely. So a really good fun one to do. Sorry, Kim has just joined me. Um, but a really good fun one to do is just to do like a scribble on a page in front of you. Have you ever done this technique where you just scribble, like take a pen and literally just chuck down like chuck down a scribble like that. Oh yeah, obviously during yeah. the entire high and school. And so at that point, like what you've got, what you've got is just a scribble, but you can turn, you can actually transform that squiggle by if you try and turn it into a bird. And all you're going to do to turn it into a bird is draw like a little dot or a circle for an eye, a little triangle for a beak, and then a couple of lines with some lines at the end for legs. And so. You just like making sure that you're like looking at your squiggle, looking at where you think these kind of things might need to go. Here we go. And so, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, exactly. Huh. So it's all about, um, yeah, oh, right. Cool. I, and, and and just I just want to kind of you know I want to show you this like. There's nothing there, like that, like literally, it's just a triangle, a dot, and a couple of long lines that kind yeah. of represent legs and feet, you know. And for people who are now out on a walk and are still curious about this, this sketch that uh, Gemma just impromptu made, this is going to be posted on YouTube as well, so you can check it out there if you're curious. Uh, but how do you deal with? That inner thought of yeah, I'm not going to be. A, I'm not it. a good drawer. Uh, I'm I'm a horrible artist, and it's the same with um, just generating these ideas. Like there are so many things inside of us. But yeah, how do you so I that? mean, it's <laughs> interestingly, it's one that you can actually draw out for yourself. It's like that inner critic, um, and so you can like so you could use that scribble technique to kind of draw out the inner critic so put down a scribble and then like put some like eyes and like a little grumpy mouth on it and then actually start to like hear as you're drawing hear the kind of criticism that's coming up and just observe it and write it down and a lot of the time that kind of criticism you may even recognize it as a, it was something that happened in an art class or somebody made fun of you and it kind of you know it kind of sticks with you but actually just by drawing it out and just noticing that that's just what your inner critic does and your inner critic says you kind of start to detach from it a little bit and then the other thing that you can do then is just to go, yeah, thank you. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. Um, because, it, you know, your inner critic is actually there. It's trying to do a job for you. It's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to stop you from being in that horrific space where you are humiliated or what have you. But just say, I don't, you know, in the here and now, I don't need you anymore. Just try and have that like little conversation with that critic. And actually kind of visualizing it out and making it into this kind of funny thing so that when you hear your critic coming up, especially if you're kind of in an environment where you are trying to learn some basic drawing techniques, and I even call it mark making because I know 
actually drawing can kind of create like quite a visceral response but like when you're kind of making those making those marks and you're hearing your inner critic coming up and saying oh you're not very good at this or um I wouldn't show that to anybody that's embarrassing you can then a recognize that that is this inner critic maybe even recognize where it's come from and then just very politely and gently let it know thank thank you for trying to keep me safe but it's not serving me that yeah that kind of feedback is not serving me right now no and that brought me to think about um one of my personal stories um Mm -hmm. little sites up here but i'm also curious about your experience i I had a burnout, let's say eight years ago, something like that. And um, I found out the hard way that my motivation does not come from money and status and these kind of things. But in the process, a very uncomfortable process to recovery, my therapist had me pick out Smurfs. Mm-hmm. Yes, Smurfs. And each of these Smurfs, like the little doll plastic figurines, and she physically made me pick these out and name these according to specific emotions that I was going through and then write a letter to these Smurfs telling them exactly what you were just saying. Like, thank you for getting me through this time so far. Uh, you've been useful to get me through this point, but now I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Goodbye. So Super uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. Really weird as well. Really, really weird. Writing a letter to Smurfs is like, not one of my favorite things to do, but it was very useful. And that kind of resonates with with, with the story that you were just telling. Is it something that you yeah, experienced so, as well? Yeah, I've yeah, I think I've used that. I think I've used that technique before. I've used a couple of different actually. I've used a couple of different art therapy techniques. Um, the other one that I think is really powerful is when you do like um left like non-dominant handwriting and so you can have a conversation between the dominant and the non-dominant hands um and obviously for me I like to I draw the picture so I draw the picture of the adult me and I draw the picture of the child me using my non-dominant hands and then you you just like purely like off Uh, off the top of your head just like allow your hand to write a conversation so the adult part of you might ask a question to the child part of you and you can actually then the answers just start coming out and because you're like you're seeing the child answer in this kind of child handwriting it's very very powerful and you can so you can ask your the child part of you like what do you need right now um or you know what what do you what do you want to tell me um and so that is another like it, it sounds like the therapist that you worked with did a kind of a technique for really kind of bringing your emotions and especially the hidden emotions to life to kind of yeah to be yeah, able to wonderful. hold that kind of constructive conversation with the different parts of yourself um and it's yeah incredibly powerful but yeah I've done I think similar I think in terms of recognizing and and like I say conversing with my emotions but also that child self that kind of the child self that maybe kind of um yeah felt like it you know felt neglected or felt kind of um or that that you're not like in touch with at the moment 
like how do you kind of have that conversation with the child self and again there's some like really really powerful therapy tools that you can use um to be able to do that and you can do that with a therapist which is like again very powerful however there's nothing to stop you from like just doing that exercise for yourself as well um making you know just making some time to kind of actually hold that conversation with the different parts of yourself that you don't allow in because professional Gemma cannot have this kind of conversation with child Gemma (laughs) but actually when you do and when you do kind of create that time it creates a more integrated version of yourself you're you're then more able to bring all of your parts all the scared bits all the all the bits that are kind of um that you've ta- you know learned from childhood that should kind of shut up or you know go away or be quiet you're like okay actually we're going to make some space to have a conversation and that's so healing it's really really healing thing to do i see you light up talking through this what is it that makes you smile that big uh i think it's the power of it i think that's it it's just like I love the way that you can use it's it's not just visuals it's these types of techniques to tap into different parts of your brain um and then I get excited about the idea that maybe somebody who's like listening to this will be like oh Sandra and Gemma both tried this technique maybe we're gonna maybe I'm gonna do it and maybe they're gonna discover something that's really really powerful as a result of it um but yeah so I I like hold these kind of I hold um they're sort of like they're teaching techniques where you like learn the different visual techniques for tapping into different parts of your brain and different like parts of your emotions as well um and those groups honestly like they are so so special to me um yeah they're incredible and and it's because you see people tapping into stuff that they're not they've not been able to otherwise and they're you know they're they're completely kind of like self-coaching um groups so you kind of really just learn the technique and you try the technique out you're not there to nobody has to kind of share anything big or major um but you do you just sort of start to see these kind of realizations where people have like just because of the way that they've reframed their problem by putting down a visual it does it creates magic um which is kind of where the whole doodle witch thing comes from is because it it genuinely is it's kind of it's transformational um and and yeah and really kind of helps people to kind of understand things in different ways so that that's why it lights me up it just yeah, it, it's it's through that power of transformation where people just either understand their situation better or they understand themselves better. Um, and it's so easy and they can do it themselves. It's like... Yeah, I love that. And thank you so much for being so open about it. It's a, it's a, I think it's always a very inspiring thing when people are a, that connected to themselves and like able to push that inner saboteur out of the way ish. Of course, that's going to pop up throughout whether that's going to be in this, this sense or imposter syndrome. There are many okay occasions where, you know, the inner saboteur comes, uh, 
peeps around the corner and says, hey, maybe, maybe you don't want to do this because of prior experience. But it's good to know that these te techniques exist. And if you're listening and think, I'm going to try this and you want to share this, please join the Mastering Agility Discord community. And if you want to share it in there, that would be incredibly powerful um, to others as well. Like what Gemma is now telling. I think this, that's amazing. I love it. Thank you. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what's, what's going to come out of it. And what I've noticed is liberating structure works, uh, for instance, liberating structures workshops work together really well with graphic facilitation or uh, drawing stuff out, thinking outside of the box. What's oh, your experience with this? Like, how do your workshops look it. like? I love it. I think, um, yeah, I did. Uh, I, I love, I really do love um, doing the liberating structures workshop. I can't remember the name of it, but there is one where you like literally just make marks. Um, and so it gives you like a con construct of certain marks. And the liberating structure actually tells you what those marks should mean. I decided because I'm like obviously it's just a tool and so I decided I was going to adapt it for my own so I created some of my own marks and I also decided that I wasn't going to tell people like what things have to mean I said I thought let's just like leave it open and just say right you just have to make these marks and you have to tell a story like tell a story about the situation um and I use this as a retrospective just tell a story with those marks. Um, and then we did this kind of, we did this like art interpretation thing. So we did a gallery walk where we kind of, a literal gallery walk where everybody had their like picture up on the wall and they kind of showed their picture um, and they didn't explain the picture. The rest of the group just had to say like what they were seeing in that picture. It was incredibly powerful. Again, because people feel really seen. Like the fact that, A, people were reading that picture and getting it right was brilliant. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because there was a key which kind of explained everything. It was just through the kind of process of putting shapes down on paper. And that was, that was actually enough for people to kind of really get, get, get the right messages for like what was going on for each of those individual people and how they were seeing the world. Um, and then the people that were kind of like having their pictures read suddenly got a new way of explaining their viewpoint to the rest of the team. So inc incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that. Um, I think the other one, um, the, the ecosystem cycle with the, infinity symbol mm -hmm. I, I absolutely love that one as well I just think again it's a visual technique um that is a brilliant one to be able just to create something that's like really beautiful and then let people kind of populate their stuff into it I just think yeah fantastic um like way of actually using some systems thinking some visual thinking um but in such a lightweight way that you're not really having to explain a lot. It doesn't need a massive explainer because the diagram is fairly like self-explanatory in, in itself. And people suddenly, again, start to get new insight because they're kind of seeing the process that they're going through um, in in a way that they can 
they can recognize, but also gives them a slightly different perspective. So they are thinking about like, okay, well, what needs to die to kind of make make room for new growth? And that's that's really, really quite powerful. It takes away the inner thought continuously. Like thinking in the in, inside the box is not a thing anymore with these doodles, if you will, or, uh, with this graphic facilitation. I forgot the actual, uh, the, the other word for it. But that's something that I've noticed. Like if you think, just think, if you ask a question, what went wrong this sprint or what was the highlight of this sprint? you're immediately going to jump to a response or to a conclusion. But if you're going to draw it out, it takes a lot longer for you to put your thoughts down and therefore you get connected to a whole different area inside your brain or your recollection, recollection uh, of the past sprint. So it's a really different process. Of That's getting it. There. Yeah. I, I think, it, yeah. you know, because you've got these biases, your brain is just like full of these biases, which are like there to kind of help you get from A to B really quickly. So that question, like what went well, what went wrong, what are you going to do differently? You're pretty much going to answer the same thing every single time because your brain is just like, this is the quickest route. Yeah. This is the quickest route. And, and will be, even if you don't want to be thinking like that, it, your brain will take you into those comfortable places. Whereas those visual thinking techniques and even just good coaching questions can really help you like navigate the corners that you wouldn't normally go into and kind of just break you out of that cognitive bias and that usual story that you have to tell yourself because that's just how your brain works. Um, And so, yeah, I, I do think they're really useful, like I say, just for that perspective shift. What's the most powerful experience that you had or seen someone else get to a whole new conclusion that's something they never discovered about themselves or the experience they had through drawing oh that's such a good question i think it probably has been it has been out of one of those um doodling for feelings groups um and that that's kind of quite a like that yeah, so I can't, I won't be able to kind of give you the example of like what came out of that, but it was really beautiful. So the group kind of saw this visual and the, the kind of the person had created around like a relationship that they had. And it was of a spiral. And they, they cause they'd kind of described it, this relationship as a spiral. And then one of the groups said, well, the interesting thing about that spiral is as you kind of pull it, sometimes that creates space, and but sometimes there can also be closeness. And there was this moment where there, there, this kind of deep wisdom from the actual visual kind of came out, and there was, there was this clear, really, really clear moment of like, ah, oh, that what, that's what that means. Um, and so that was that was really incredible. Um, but you, you do you see it you see it with teams as well. I think so. I, I was working with a. I was working. This is quite recently, actually, with a group where I was doing the um, gra- just doing a graphic recording, and they were talking about their mission and they were reading their mission off of like their PowerPoint deck 
And so I was like, I was translating exactly what the mission said. But as they were discussing it, it actually, it seemed to me that actually that that wasn't the shape of their mission at all. And so as they were discussing, I actually then drew the new shape out to say, well, actually, I think it looks like this. Um, and so when when it came to a break, I did, I offered, I offered my observation. And I was like, so this is really interesting because your mission on the PowerPoint deck, it says this and this is what that looks like. Everything that you're saying to me isn't that shape at all. It's actually, and they were like, "Oh, wow, yeah, you're right." <laughs> and so it, it it it's one of those things where even just in playback, where you can just be like, "I'm, yeah, you, what you're what you're saying isn't in line with what what your kind of written mission is at all." But you can kind of you can play it back into the shape that you're hearing again like really really powerful because that was like a senior leadership team just kind of suddenly realizing that actually what they had written down and they've been advertising to everybody this is what we are this is what we do was was not the truth um the truth truth was different like not not worse it was better I would imagine but it was also very different Do you agree that 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 is where the value lies in these kind of this this form of art? Like it yeah. sparks a discussion. It's, it it sparks a different kind of interpretation to things that you normally wouldn't have. I mean, I'm by far no art critic. I know nothing about art, but if I look at certain paintings, and I think, huh, this means this and this, and then I read the sign and says, "This is silent life." So, how did you get to this conclusion? Like the the idea that the painter had is completely different from what I interpreted with it, like a dot somewhere in a corner. All right. I don't know what to do with this, but apparently there is something behind that. That's way more valuable. And that's, that's the power of the, the conversation. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. I think it's, it's what you project into the art piece as well. I've noticed that a lot. So I think, yeah, it, it was interesting. Actually, I went to um, the kind. Of, have you been to one of those the Van Gogh experience? So it's like, funnily enough, as no, it no, it's it was incredible. So it's like this kind of essentially they're kind of bringing these like Van Gogh's pictures to life. So they're like projecting them onto stuff. They're kind of making them move. You've got like these VR experiences that you can like really experience um, Van Gogh's paintings. Um, and you're doing it as you're kind of like walking through his life. And then they also have like a lot of notes there that can help you under like understand a little bit what Van Gogh was going through, but then also point you to like the visual language that he's using to kind of communicate what, what the art critics think is like what he's trying to say with it. Um, and so there might be, there might be some, some things that are kind of symbolic. So we might all recognize that like, uh, I don't know, like a stormy sky or like the darkness of, big foreboding trees might actually be kind of communicating like a sense of like overwhelm or terror um or yeah 
or, or just like foreshadowing. Um, but then there was another picture that I saw where it was just, he was just painting over and over again his bedroom. And I instantly recognized that from a, it like spoke to my heart, like in a really, and I'd never seen this before. I'd never seen it where, because it was the number of paintings that he had repeatedly done of his bedroom. And I also looked at the angles of the room and I never noticed these bedroom pictures before. But the angles were all off. They kind of, they look like they're kind of closing in. Um, so it's almost like a, almost almost like a kind of fisheye lens, like the, you know, and he's an amazing artist, but the kind of the proportions of the room are off. They are completely off. And it reminded me very deeply of being at university. I went through quite, my third year of university, I went through quite a deep depression. Like I had no idea what had hit me. It was, it was terrifying. Uh, and I was doing an art course at the time. Um, of, it was a, a media arts course. And so I was in a position where I had to create, but also I was completely so depressed that I was completely lacking inspiration. And so I think all that I could video was my housemates smoking and maybe I could kind of do a walk around the block and I'd video things that I could see on the on the kind of pavement around me as I, as I walked around the block. So I, and I showed this to my, my tutor and he was like, oh, I, I don't know. And I was, I was so apologetic. I was just like, I'm so sorry. This is so, I mean, I'm going to, I hope you don't mind me saying, but it was shit. I was just like, it's so shit. And he's like, no, <laughs> he's like, there's something there. But I, I, didn't get it I couldn't get it and then I was suddenly confronted with like this is very recently like you know last year I was in this Van Gogh exhibition and I was confronted by painting after painting after painting of Van Gogh's one room that he was renting with all these kind of these angles that weren't right that just like, and it literally looked like the rooms were kind of closing in on him. And I was like, oh, I know, I know that experience. I know what it's like to just have to be creating art. You have, look, is your, you have to, it's in your, you know, it's in your DNA. It has it to, get, to out, get out, but your world is so small. Like, that's your world, is just your room. He couldn't get out. He couldn't get into the fields. He couldn't get out to, onto a mountaintop to kind of look over a, a beautiful view. He couldn't get out to any inspiration. So he was just repeatedly drawing his room. Now, what was interesting was that the art critic kind of write-up didn't cover any of that. Didn't That wasn't their process. And so there was a part of me which was just like projecting my own experience and my own yeah my my own like brain as an artist into the into those pictures and so there there is an element of maybe that wasn't genuinely wasn't what he was trying to say or genuinely wasn't what he was going through but it's what touches you and there's 
and there's as an artist you realize that actually there's only there's only so much that is you and then the rest probably maybe 80 90 is the viewer what the viewer is projecting in on your art um and so actually bad art like when I say bad art, but very simple art that doesn't necessarily have a lot of detail is really, really open for people to be able to project, project that stuff into. So this is where you don't need a lot of detail. You don't need to kind of be able to produce really beautifully accurate representations of stuff because the less that people are seeing, the more that they can kind of project themselves into. And so that is that was also like a big lesson learn in terms of like how you can kind of how you can actually create visual thinking with very very simple simple images i'm sorry i had to go through that depression and thank you so much for sharing such an intimate story no that's quite okay i think i mean i'm glad in a way although i you know i wasn't at the time but um i think it's important to go through those things I think a a I've, I've learned a lot about my own creative process from having gone through that um and, and my own mind through having gone that gone through that but also I think it, it does it means that you're then so much more open to being compa- compassionate to other people who are kind of going through similar things so yeah that and if I reflect back on my own my own experience with a with a burnout, and obviously that's vastly different from uh, from a depression. The experience itself sucked. It sucked massively, right. but you learn so much about yourself. It widens your your perspective on things. You learn new things that you would have else would never have mm. uncovered. Maybe down the line, uh, but definitely not in in the perspective that it puts you in. Because you have to, like, there is no way around, and it's very easy to cover up your your own emotion. Or, you know, my um, the current therapist I use is that it's a it's a different guy than uh, the woman that was guiding me through my burnout. But he uses these Playmobil dolls for this, and he uses a ghost um, for this, like your inner saboteur, but also the the person that you like. People can pull up a wall or a mask, if you will that is representing all the bad experience that you you have and therefore you put up certain behavior just to cover up and prevent yourself your your inner child inner child from getting hurt that's sort of what we were discussing earlier he uses these kind of things and it's it's good to think about uh, to reflect back on at what point do i use a technique like that what what kind of masks am i holding up and it's the same with this um Drawing these these kind of things out, drawing your emotions out from time to time, and it's uh, highly uncomfortable. Although I can highly recommend it in that sense as well. Something that made me think in the story that you were just telling is at the end. I I sort of started reflecting to all the details that you can push into this is a completely different story, completely different idea but all the details that you can slam into Jira or draw your product yeah. backlog out. So you can spoon feed people with, with features and ideas and things to build 
or you can draw a challenge to overcome. And they, from that point on, have a discussion about it. Instead of just writing something down in Jira, here, this is what I want you to do, and therefore, good luck. Have you ever drawn out an entire yeah. product backlog? Oh, God, yeah. So this is one of my favorite activities. Um, it's a game storming activity. Um, like I say, everything that I do is like a lot of the stuff that I do actually is is quite heavily influenced through by game storming. Um, but it's the product box. And so, um, yeah, have you used that one? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's in the uh, the the PSPO, the Professional Scrum for Product Owner course. It is and so it's cool. So cool. Um, and so, yeah, I use that technique with a team where they were, I suppose, they're probably what what would now be called like a developer experience team or a um, uh, yeah, a development efficiency team. So they're kind of creating products for the developers within within the organization to kind of help like enable developers to be able to kind of work in a much more kind of smooth clean way um and the exciting thing about working with that team was that it was just like we were really just kind of set up in a way where we were given a bit of a blank sheet to be able to kind of to what to work with but what was kind of really terrifying about that blank sheet was that actually nobody kind of knew what the hell that they were doing and so we had we had we had like this kind of product owner who was relatively new into the role and didn't really understand so much about the development tools that could kind of be created and then we had this kind of group of developers who had just been kind of all thrown together off of different projects and so actually creating a collaborative view of what they could create it it needed something that was going to be super creative um and so actually getting them to like get a physical box in the room bring out the kind of different drawing materials the different you know pens the different like magazines they could tear stuff up and put stuff on there and then be able to ask questions um that are like super important to their product box so like uh, you know you can put some like fake user reviews what's the best thing people are saying about this what are your like what your one star reviews like what are the kind of things that actually it doesn't matter if your customers don't really like rate it that much what are the kind of what are the unique features that are good people you know your people are going to want to have this product more than any other product on the market how are they going to find it how are they going to like know how to use it like all of these really like actually yeah all of these amazing kind of questions but creating this like a visual artifact that kind of sits in the room and that sat on our desks like you know the whole time um because it is <laughs> such a powerful artifact so it's not just, there is the actual creating of that artifact which i think helps people get into like a really kind of creative mindset in terms of like what are we going to be building how are we going to be communicating how are people you know how how can we really start thinking of this as a service to other people but then there's the like now you've actually got that as a kind of physical artifact of your goal 
And that is incredibly powerful and like motivating mm-hmm. for your team because you can you can always reference back to that. So yeah, really, really awesome technique, I think, that kind of again it's visual, but it, it's I love the fact you, and you can do it like if you're working with re- remote teams, you can do it just on a kind of in a kind of templated way where everybody's kind of creating like a visual, like a collaborative, a collaborative visual on like say mural or Miro or, you know, your favorite whiteboarding tool. Um, but I love it in the room because you're actually like, you're creating a physical box and there's just something really cool about that. And it gives you something to inspect and adapt in a more easy way. Like you, you can talk about stuff for hours. I mean, how many, how many, demos and i don't mean sprint reviews but just demos where stakeholders sit back soak up knowledge like a sponge and uh, it's a very one-dimensional thing where there's just been Mm. a discussion held and people have to interpret that and form stuff in their own way unfortunately i've seen way too many of these and graphic facilitation drawing a product box or uh, doodling something just on a wall for people to inspect to have a nice discussion or what do you think our product vision is that you like like you were discussing earlier with with the mission what do you think it is probably when i'm going to draw my image of it it's going to be different than yours so what can we do with that how can we use that to achieve our goals and i think that's a very interesting approach to take these these things ahead again over spoon feeding developers with here you have a nice feature this is the idea I, I think it's a wonderful tool for going like getting that capturing all that convergence everybody's idea and then naturally getting it to a point where sorry all the divergence where everybody's kind of coming out and then naturally coming to a point of convergence where you're like yeah this is the this is the thing that we're actually creating and you're all and I like you're all literally on the same page like and you know that you're on the same page because you're your mental like model of how everything should be working is consistent and you've got something that is a you've been able to kind of have a conversation around because it's it's visual so you can say is it more like this or more like that um but actually then you've got this artifact that really kind of tells everybody like this is the agreed setup this is what we're actually going to be doing and so I think yeah that is I think one of the most powerful ways of kind of you know obviously there's room for kind of making sure that you've got your backlog in Jira but you want to start big you want to start really imaginative and I don't know anybody who whose imagination can genuinely spark by writing user stories into Jira just you know I don't I don't think that's the right place for it. <laughs> of course, some people do. Uh, there's no one size yeah. fits all to that as well. You can tell we're getting to the end of the show slowly by the cue of the, the music. Do you think that somewhere down the line we have lost our connection to our creativity? Like, does does a corporate atmosphere, a corporate style lead us away from the actual creativity that we possess i i kind of think so like uh, how like how much room has do you see for fun in corporate life like it does it tends to be yeah it's a little bit taboo isn't it right it's and so but the thing is with the kind of sidelining of that fun you also sideline creativity i think they two things kind of go 
hand in hand. And when I say when I say fun, it's not about like forcing people to kind of play games that they want to play. <laughs> it's it's about playfulness. It's about that interaction of playfulness. Yeah. And that really is what what creativity is about. So yeah. I think something that you touched upon is the genuinity. Yes. It has to be authentic. It's not like you can come in as a manager and say, from now on, thy shalt have fun. Like yeah. it has to be authentic else if, yeah. it, if you're going to force it. And I hate force work either. fun as well. Yeah. But no. like, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's fun, not. Really fun. It's just not. However, I am really into it. I, I, I just pictured this Barbie-esque smile in front of me. I'm enjoying myself so much. (laughs) Whereas actual playfulness, playfulness and creativity is work, you know? And I, yeah. Um, And so if you can kind of capture that in a way that like fits into that corporate environment, then great. But yeah, it does mean that some of that taboo about having bit of a kind of more playful approach, approach to stuff at work needs to be broken down otherwise you're, you're you're kind of stopping yourself from um from having something that like a truly innovative culture mm-hmm. terrible isn't it stopping yourself from an innovative culture that makes an interesting topic for another podcast now for people who got inspired by what you've been telling in they want to know more about you. They want to look at your the things that you create, your workshops, whatever you do. Of course, uh, Adventures with Agile coming up more in next year. Where can people find you? Where can people sign up for, for your workshops? What do you need? For Brilliant. Yeah. Do? So um, I've currently got a course that I'm going to be running in January, uh, which is called Visual Thinking for Coaches. And that will be using a lot of the techniques that we discussed here, but also like tons more. Like I'm super into mapping at the moment so there's going to be like tons of stuff around mapping but also just kind of how to use visual thinking to like get into different parts of your brain so that's running in end of january um it's a two-day course in london um and that can be found on the adventures with agile website uh for now if you're like interested in finding out more just or about anything contact either adventures with agile or you can contact me directly on linkedin um, that's that's a good way to go. How you got hold of me, Sander? Wonderful. <laughs> and that's how you got hold of me. Sorry. Oh, oh, we... Exactly. I mean, I got a nudge by Ryan Brook, and he said Gemma's going to make an interesting guest, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, I really love your openness, your transparency, and the way you got to this point, and your experience, your stories. I think it's always very um, admirable when people are comfortable being that open. So thank you very much for that. Thanks. I've absolutely enjoyed being on this podcast so much. It's been really good. Hope to have you back again. Now, for everyone who has been listening, I hope we hope you enjoyed as well. Let us know what you think. Come to the Mastering Agility Discord to share your experience. Maybe if you have one of those dis- uh, doodles that you've created, those mind maps or whatever you want to share, feel free to come in and show it us. If not, we hope you tune in back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility Podcast. Gemma, Gemma thank you thank again you, so Sandra. much for being here.